Can you hear it with your ears? Can you see it with your eyes? Can you feel it wiggling between your quivering thighs? That thing, that thing, that thing with James. Once every millennium something will come along. When you feel it you will know it cause it's coming on strong. That thing, that thing. Stress, let me come inside your mind. I promise you it won't take long, the change will happen soon. You will feel something so special growing deep within you. That thing, that thing, that thing with James, that thing, that thing. That's me. Welcome to episode. I what is this? I forgot to look. What is this? Fifty-eight of that thing with James J. Asher the second. I'm your host, James J. Asher the second. Ooh. Now, for those of you watching, you may be able to see that I am wearing something called a uh, a smegma. Or, um, oh, what are these things called? A f- uh, shemag, sh- sh- a shemag, or a shemag. Or there's another name for it. It's like kefir or something like that. Um, well, it's like, a, it's like a desert kind of shawl or scarf. That's a square thing. And you see it in some movies like Bedouins wear them. Uh, warriors like in North Africa or Mideast desert areas will wear these things. And there's different ways to wear them. And I finally decided to figure out how to wear it. Like there's different ways to tie it around on your head. I am wearing it the pirate way. Um, I do not have it covering the top of my head currently, although I could pull the hood up that I, that I fashioned, although the face cover is up and, um, you know, I figured this provides better protection than, say, your standard bandana. You know what I'm saying? I've got a red bandana. I put it on earlier, like last night. Um, you know, I did the Tupac, I did the Pirate, I did the Vietnam, and then I did the Bandit, a.k.a. the Antifa. And, um, you know, the Antifa was a pretty cool look. I just need a black hoodie. I've got a dark gray hoodie. It's like graphite colored gray. But, uh, you know, you can do full Antifa. (coughs) I think I got a hair on my tongue. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, it's a a mask, so I don't get the COVID-19. Um... That's all I'm going to say about that bullshit. There's enough of that in the world right now. And it's not really bullshit or something. Um, let's see here. I'm going to make sure this episode is short. I'm talking like maybe 30 minutes. Who knows? I might not even take a break. Who fucking knows? I'm aiming for 30 minutes on this episode because the last episode was entirely too long. It came into about like an hour and 43 minutes 
I don't even know if anyone watched it, and I certainly don't know if anyone watched the whole thing. But, um, you know, because that was turned out to be pretty long, I just wanted to make this episode short because I'm also downloading uh, some video games right now, and I want to play them. I'm downloading uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, which I had to download this thing called like the EA Pass. Um, Entertainment Arts is the, the video game. Whoops. I accidentally um, unplugged the the microphone because I just like thought about touching the, the plug on the bottom of the mic. And uh, so it unplugged. So I had to stop and then restart. Fuck. And here I was thinking I was going to manage to get the whole thing without having to like turn the camera off and then reset and do the clap, whatever, whatever. Um, yeah, so this episode is about being lazy. Well, let's see here. What should I call it? In defense of idleness? Or, hmm, in defense of drifting? Hmm, a, a, um... Sloth's apologia, and a sloth apologist, I might be. No, I'm not necessarily about sloth, but maybe not forcing it. Ooh, I know what this episode can be about. Wu Wei. Wu Wei. Of course, Wu Wei. All right, so Wu Wei. I'm going to get to what that's about here in a little bit, but first, I want to read some quotes. Let me. <coughs> Oh, excuse me. Let me look them up. Well, I've got them looked up. Let me uh, pull them up here. Quotes. Got some quotes that... <clears throat> Jesus. <clears throat> Having a rough time with this. <clears throat> I need some water. Hold on. Fuck. Mm, mm, mm. those of you listening, I just took a big rip off a bong. Because <coughs> it's 420 all month, man. Okay. In defense of idleness, Wu Wei. Here we go. Here's the quotes for today. Wu Wei, hooray. Here's the quotes today. First one by Kurt Vonnegut Jr., my favorite author. This quote is from, from Time Quake, which is a, a book he wrote, one of the few that I haven't read. Uh, and the quote goes like this, listen, or uh, quote, listen, we are here on earth to fart around. Don't let anyone tell you any different, end quote. So let's unpack that. We're here on earth to fart around. Don't let anyone tell you any different. 
I agree with him on that. Because um, why do people do stuff? I mean, as far as like um, doing something that'll like make you feel good about yourself. Why do people do stuff like to help others? You know, why does someone help others? Is it so they feel good about themselves? So they feel good that they helped somebody else? I'm not like arguing against helping others. I think helping others is a great and noble thing. But, you know, uh, it's in pursuit of some kind of meaning, like why you want to do good stuff, why you want to feel good. I guess you want to feel good so you can make life like livable, you know. Um, but, uh, what I'm, I don't know how to get to what I'm trying to say from that track. So I'm just going to abandon that track and just say, um, I don't think there is any intrinsic meaning to life. You know, that's a question you always hear in like, just, you know, pieces of entertainment, movies and stuff like that. Like someone will climb to the top of the mountain to speak with the guru and say, guru, guru, wise one, what is the meaning of life? What kind of question is that? What is life? Life, like, is that a word? Like beyond the like dictionary definition of the word life? Like, what is the meaning of your existence? Like, what purpose does it serve? I don't think there is, you know, intrinsically any purpose. Ooh, ooh, that makes me think. I want to look up this other quote real quick. I guess I should just get through all the quotes I was going to do and then um, and then unpack that whole uh, life is meaningless thing. Um, and before we go any further, I want to tell you right now, I am not, I am not a nihilist, all right? I'm an absurdist and an existentialist. All right, here we go. Here's a quote from another one of my favorite writers, Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote some books like The Mask of the Red Death, um, Fall of the House of Usher, uh, The Pygmalion. I think he wrote The Pygmalion or, or Leapfrog, one of the, one of the somethings. Uh, uh, Monkey Paw, Cat's Claw, Mima, Peepaw, um, Hark the Lizard Toad, Ulelum, the bells, 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 uh, and the raven. You may have heard of that one, you know, quoth the raven, uh, uh, ever clear. Okay, so Edgar Allan Poe wrote, All that we see or seem but is a dream within a dream. Damn, he can rhyme. You know, he's like an early rapper, but you know who was a rapper before Poe? One of the OG rappers. That's right, my friends. William Shakespeare, a.k.a. Billy Shakes. I had a friend in college who used to refer to William Shakespeare as Billy Shakes, and it took me a hot minute to figure out that she was talking about William Shakespeare. I was probably drunk. <clears throat> okay, here's this quote from Willie Shakespeare, and then I want to look up another one. Uh, quote, all, you've, you've probably heard this, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his act being seven ages, end quote. 
you know, how long is one of those ages? Probably a decade, you know. So on average, you know, someone's living 70 years. People live longer now, but I guess back in the um, uh, mid to late 1500s, 70 must have been pretty fucking old because you're like, you were considered an adult by the time you're like eight. Like maybe, maybe by the time like a first pube shows or something, then you're an adult. Like, all right all right, now we're going to give you off to this other family. We're trading you for a fucking goat. <laughs> you haven't met this dude, but you're going to be stuck with him for the rest of your life. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Uh, there's another Shakespeare. It's from uh, Macbeth. Macbeth, 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 Macbeth. <laughs> Some people are really freaked out by the word Macbeth because they're really superstitious. So they'll say the Scottish play. But I'm not in a theater right now. Um, and, and that's kind of like where you're not supposed to say it is inside of a theater theater, as they say in some States, um, the Scottish play Macbeth or the cursed play as some people refer to it. Um, let's see. It's when Macbeth learns of his wife's suicide and he says something to the something like, um, she should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Now what does that mean? It means life has no meaning. Uh, that we go through our lives, create with all this sound and fury, all these emotions, all these big emotions and worries and 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 goals and things and at the end of the day it's all for nothing because life is nothing but a walking shadow a shadow is immaterial a shadow is a fleeting part of of nothingness a shadow is a lack of light life is a flat non-existent thing that flicks by through a spark of light and in that moment you experience your whole life experience all of your relationships, all of your hopes and fears, everything that feels good, everything that hurts, and all of it doesn't even really exist, even though it's so real to you, even though it feels like it lasts a lifetime, even though it hurts so bad and felt so good sometimes, your life had no meaning at the end of it, because <sighs> life has no intrinsic meaning and existence has no intrinsic meaning. Do you know what the word intrinsic means? I'm um, not trying to patronize, but in case you don't know, intrinsic means like built in, like an assumed, like, you know, life does not have a built in or like an inherited, inherent meaning to it. Meaning is what you apply to it. And that leads me to another Shakespeare quote that I want to try to find. So give me a second to look it up, all right? Okay, I, I found it. 
Um, it's from Act Two, Scene Two of Hamlet. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Let me read that again. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. What does that mean? Um, a lot of this stuff, uh, as far as I know, I haven't studied a whole lot about Nietzsche, but as far as I know, that's one of the things he was talking about. Nietzsche. Uh, the guy people accredit as uh, the first really tackling the idea of nihilism, as again, as far as I know. Um, we're talking here about inherent meaning in existence, inherent meaning in life. And along with that often comes uh, the assumption of what is good or bad, or what is good or evil. And what Shakespeare there is arguing, and what Nietzsche argued, and what I agree with, excuse me, is um, that nothing is good or bad. The only thing that makes a thing good or bad or evil is your thinking that it does. You think this is good. You perceive a thing as good. Therefore, you project, you know, goodness onto that. Or if you perceive something as bad or evil, or if you think something is bad or evil to you, it becomes bad or evil because you applied that meaning to it. Okay? But things are different for everybody. Relativity, it's a thing. Relativity. What may be evil or bad to you may be good and right to another person. Example, let's take, um, let's take an apple. Let's take a good apple brand. Let's say uh, jazz apple. I really like jazz apples. They're from New Zealand. New Zealand? Oh, fuck, I cannot do a New Zealand accent. I mean, I'm closer to doing an Australian accent than a New Zealand accent, and I can't do an Australian accent. G'day, cunt. <laughs> Put another shrimp on the barbie. How about a Foster's? How about a Foster's? Oh, that's it. Yeah, they're always asking questions. And then the Kiwis, uh, they're more nasally, but then there's different, you know, different... Uh, dialects. I don't know if it's dialects, but uh, there's different accents on the on, uh, in New Zealand. Anyway, what was I getting at? Applying meaning to things. Let's take a jazz apple. Um, I may think a jazz apple tastes great, so I would say, you know, someone comes to me with a jazz apple, and they're like, uh, "Yo." what do you think of this jazz apple? And I'll, I'll take a bite of it and I'll say, Hmm, this is good. This tastes good. It's got a nice bite. It's juicy. It's kind of tart, a little sweet. Uh, and then someone else may get the same jazz apple and may take a bite out of it on the other side, you know, because we're hygienic, but we're not wasteful. And they may take a bite out of that jazz apple and say, this is too tart. It's bad. And it's not soft enough. It's too crunchy for me. 
Uh, it's got too much bite. It's hard on my on my tongue. Uh, I'm salivating now. I'm getting that very weird alkaline kind of saliva building up in my mouth, and I I threw up in my mouth when I bit into that apple. It's a bad apple. So the apple itself was neither good nor bad on its own. The only thing that made it good or bad was each of our um, uh, relative, respective um, perceptions of the apple. All right, here's here's another uh, example. Actions. Let's say um, what uh, you know, evil people like the 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 bad guy in a movie or in a book, the bad guy or gal or, or bad non-binary, the bad they, um, you know, the, the, the bad guy never really thinks they're the bad guy. The bad guy always think that they are justified. They have reasons for doing the things they do and they think they do it for good reasons. Um, and often they may think that their tactics toward uh, trying to achieve their ends um, are, are, are justified. You know, perhaps they think, all right, I got to be a little harsh right here, but it's going to be worth it for the greater good. For further example, Adolf Hitler, you know, um, Holocausted. Uh, groups of people that he he thought were making the world a bad place. Hitler himself did not think that he himself was evil. The people he persecuted are the ones that he himself, from his own perspective, thought were evil. He thought he was good. Now, do I personally think that he was good and right? Fuck no. Guy's evil as shit. Um, but I don't believe there is any inherent, you know, it's evil to me because I don't, you know, I don't buy into his philosophy. I don't buy into his perspective. I don't buy into his methods uh, or his opinions or his emotions um, or his way of life. I don't buy into that. I don't think it's good. I think it's, I think it's bad personally, but he personally thought it was good. And perhaps other people around him thought it was good. Um, Himmler, you know, whomever else in the third Reich that really believed in it, uh, maybe, you know, they thought they were the good guys. The United, a different example, United States of America, United States of America thinks it's the best, as in the most right, the most correct, the most justified to stage coups, to uh, replace populist leaders with more mm, autocratic um, dictators who usually lean fascist. Um, we think we're just for flying in and, you know, bombing countrysides to go after what we deem are terrorists. Meanwhile, other people might not think the U.S. 
is all that good. Other people might think the U.S. is misguided. Other people might think the U.S. is evil. They might think that we are the terrorists from their perspective versus a, a patriotic American nationalist's perspective. You see what I'm saying? There is no inherent meaning toward anything, be it morals, ethics, um, or mere existence. There is no meaning or anything but that which we apply with our thinking, all right? So what does this have to do with there not, in my opinion, being an intrinsic meaning to life? I will get to that after this quick break. I want to drink. I want to make some little green tea. Green tea. I'll be right back. But when I come back, I'm going to talk about why I think life has no inherent meaning and also why I'm not a nihilist, all right? Um, I listened through during my break the last, what, 20 minutes or so of recording, and I, I noticed a uh, an error that I made on the Edgar Allan Poe quote. Um, I said, but is, it's supposed to be is but. Um, life is but a dream within a dream. Wait, or what was it? A dream within a dream is what but life is what may seem. A dream, uh, a, a life is but a dream. Oh, everything we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. That's what it is. And I want to retry the, uh, the Macbeth quote because I could feel myself forcing it. So I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out out brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I've always had trouble with that monologue, with that soliloquy. Maybe I'm just not old enough. Maybe I haven't thought of that much pain. Maybe I'm unable to experience that much pain until I lose someone as close to me as my parents or something. I've never been married. I haven't lived long enough to form that big of an attachment. I can only imagine what it, be, what it would be like, but you never know what it's actually like to lose someone until it really happens. And I think that's something you really have to experience if you really want to pull off that, that one. full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Life has no inherent meaning. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, you know, it, what, is, what is the meaning of life in even the Christian context? I go to that because I was raised Catholic, but I never got a meaning of life 
that was never really told. Like, you're alive and you have to do good deeds so you can get into heaven. I don't like that. I've never really liked the idea of doing good deeds so you can get into heaven. Um, it feels a bit, and, and this is for a lot of Christians, you know, or, or people who become, you know, religious later in life. I've talked to older people who say, you know, I've never really been into church or religion, but now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to go to church and I'm starting to pray and think about it because what if, what if there really is a, a judgmental God? What if my deeds, um, my good deeds are really bringing me closer to heaven? And what if my bad deeds are really bringing me closer to hell? What if there's a real hell in the afterlife? What, is there a real, what if there's a real heaven? What if there's a real purgatory? And so, you know, I don't want to suffer for all eternity just in case. So I'm going to start doing good things because I don't want to suffer. I don't think that G me, James, uh, and quoting, you know, loosely what some people say. Um, what I say is, I think that's a less than honorable motive behind doing good deeds. And I think that kind of um, negates the whole rationale behind doing a good deed. If you're going to do a good deed, you shouldn't do it for want of any kind of personal benefit, even though you can't get away from personal benefit, you know you're going to feel good for doing good. But um, I, I guess it's like, to what level are you expecting to get some kind of payback? And, and what kind of recompense do you think you will get by doing good deeds? Um, should you do good things so you can get something good back or should you do or should you do good deeds because you know it's the right thing to do and because it helps someone else like what if you're offered punishment in return for doing good deeds i mean fuck that certainly happens a lot it certainly happened to me a lot doing the good thing doing the right thing doing the righteous thing and what do i get in return but not great things, get spit, spit on, judged, so on and so forth. But, you know, what I think is good may not be what someone else thinks is good. Um, uh, what I think is good is trying to lift another person up, to lift someone else up, um, to raise the baseline for everyone's quality of life would be a broad thing. But in terms of dealing with uh, personal relationships, just doing something to, I guess, spread loving and or positive energy. Uh, there's no real uh, words in the um, English lexicon that can really, really... Um, describe this kind of thinking, I suppose. And maybe that's why you get books about this sort of thing that are very long and dense and difficult reads because perhaps they're writing in English and perhaps they're really trying to work around the idea that there are no words in English that really um, 
illustrate a certain immaterial, mm, a certain ethereal nuance that we experience as a thought or a feeling or an intuition. And so they will use all sorts of big, um, very um, arcane or very uh, uncommon words, very niche words, and lots of them use them in a very unwieldy way to try to express something that English simply cannot express, something to that can only be expressed through, say, music or dance or a feeling that you can't articulate, but with only feeling. Um, life has no inherent meaning. I think we exist. Um, I think everything is cause and effect, but at the same time, I, 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 I accept that there's paradox. And here's, it's going to get a little murky here, but I will go further to explain why I call myself an absurdist as opposed to a nihilist. First, let's look at nihilism. Nihilism takes into account um, science and uh, different philosophies and religions. I mean, there's a lot of shared philosophy in different religions, but... Um, but there's a lot of philosophies that religions might not share. Um, I think at the end of the day, they all basically come down to don't be a dick, do good deeds. But um, as far as like finding any sort of meaning in life, I don't think any one thing has a specific definition. I mean, there's similar ones, but not all of them agree. So nihilism just basically says, look, you came from nothing you are nothing and you return to nothing or you simply never existed. And I mean, even as far as, you know, theory goes, scientific or mathematic theory or, or even philosophical theory goes, um, existence is not guaranteed. What you believe that you are experiencing with your five, maybe six senses might not even be real. You know, there's like the simulation theory and there's stuff even beyond that. Who knows if we ever exist or if we are simply the figment of some other being's imagination. You have an imagination, right? You think you have thoughts, you have pictures or, or words or ideas or notions that pass through your mind wherever your mind may be located. I'm not convinced that mind and consciousness are located just in your head or anywhere in your body. I don't think they can be pinpointed consciousness. I don't think it can be pointed at and said, there, there's my consciousness. No, it's this thing that you can't really escape, I guess, unless you're unconscious. Uh, but even then, you have unconscious thoughts that arise out of a, a pool, a inky pool in the back of your mind, <laughs> wherever your mind is. Anyway, life has no inherent meaning according to the nihilists, and they kind of stop there. Um, you know, if you have seen um, one of the greatest 
comedy films ever made, The Big Lebowski. Um, one of the main players, well, group of players in that story are the, the nihilists. And, and uh, they're Germans and they all wear black and they listen to like, you know, like um, industrial, like early, like craft work. I forget the specific name of that genre, but it was like pre-industrial music, but craft work, you know, with a K and a E-R-K, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> um, there's a great line from, oh God, I forgot the character's name. Walter, Walter Sobacek. He says, you know, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, but at least it's an ethos. It's when one character, they were talking about the nihilists and another character was like, wait, what, are they Nazis? And, and Walter Sobchak says, no, no, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, at least it's an ethos. National socialism is much different than, you know, People will hear national socialism and say, oh, that's all socialism. No, 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 no. Those are Nazis. They employed some populist um, rhetoric and application, but not all socialists are Nazis. Let's clear that real quick right now. Not all socialists are Nazis. Not all socialists are communists per se. Uh, the, the socialist is a very broad concept that I'm just going to leave for right now. Um, but national socialism is Nazism and, um, ethos is basically their, their rules, their list of ethics, their, their moral code, uh, their rationale behind existing and doing things. Nihilism doesn't even have that. Nihilism is just, <laughs> there is no meaning, period. So boom, that's it. Life does, it doesn't have any meaning, blah, that's it. And while they are technically right, <clears throat> I think it's an easy, well, I think they are technically right. I think that's just the first step um, because the fact that people find meaning or come up with meanings means that meaning exists because it exists for those individuals who have meaning who, who believe there is meaning in life all right so therefore they created meaning so while life may not have inherent meaning it does have applied meaning you your culture that you're from applies meaning to existence applies meaning to life all right so that's what I say is like taking it a step further. And so for like absurdism, what I really like about it is that it's very agnostic. And I consider myself agnostic. So what is agnostic? It just means basically questioning. So there are people who say there is a God. God exists. Those are, let's say, Christians. Let's just stick with that keep, to keep things simple. They're not the only ones who think God exists. But, and then there are atheists. Atheists say God does not exist. Now, I say, how the fuck do either of you know? 
There's a lot of very self-righteous um, deists, people who believe there is a God. And there's a lot of very vocal self-righteous, self-righteous atheists who say there is no God. And um, I think they're just both as bad as one another. You know, they're two sides of the exact same coin because it's speaking in definites. It's not speaking indefinitely, but they are speaking in space definites. They are making definite rules on a thing that neither of them can prove nor disprove. A atheist is just as bad as a like a fundamentalist evangelical Christian, all right? Because they're saying they know. And what I say is you have a very, 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 very limited scope of perception. You have a very limited scope of understanding and processing and expressing and articulating. You can't even see the full spectrum of light. You can't even hear the full spectrum of sounds. So how the fuck do you think that you can uh, process enough information or even be able to begin to perceive or conceive of or understand things that you can't experience? You don't know what you don't know. There are some things you know you don't know, but there's a whole lot that you don't know you don't know. Just as are there are things that you don't know that you do know, all right? And of course, there are things that you know you know. Let me take a drink of this tea real quick. Mm. This is fun. So as an agnostic, I say, I don't know. And I'm not going to presume to know. But I've got some ideas. And they change from time to time. My ideas. As they should. Because I change. And the context in which I exist changes from time to time. So why shouldn't my ideas change from time to time? But I've got some ideas that have been pretty solid since I started having them. Um, and I've definitely questioned them, which is also part of agnosticism is questioning everything. Is or is not. Or blah. Try writing without using the word is. That's a hell of an exercise. Write without any kind of... Um, personal, like uh, first person pronouns and write without using the word is. Like what is, is? What's the definition of is? You can't, you know, it's a weird thing, you know, and it becomes a circular problem with circular logic. And um, you can say seem, something seems, something may, but to say is would be, would seem to imply definite characteristics and meanings to a thing or idea or place or time, whatever. I say I'm an absurdist because I, I personally accept, I, I am, I believe and I accept that life has no intrinsic meaning. However, I also equally believe and accept that life does have meaning when you apply meaning to it. 
So how is that different from, say, existentialism, absurdism? Often existentialism and absurdism go hand in hand. If I remember correctly, and I don't feel like taking a, you know, breaking off right now and researching this, maybe I'll come back to it another time. Probably not. Maybe some other time when I, I don't intend on it. I'll just walk right into the subject as usual. Um, but if I remember correctly, I believe the philosophical idea, I mean, not the word absurd or absurdism, but say like the philosophical theory of absurdism came after existentialism. And the reason I say that is because of many plays. See, existentialist-based plays, like those written by Jean-Paul Sartre, um, those came around before the absurdist, absurdist plays, like those written by Edward Albee. Or was he an ESCO absurdist? I, I forget. These fucking guys or gals or names. I forget. There's a lot of them. But if, yeah, if I remember correctly, existentialism came first. And existentialism stated basically, uh, yeah, there is no meaning, but it's up to you to create that meaning. It's your responsibility to create some type of responsibility unless you just want to wallow in this sad pit of non-meaning with that is nihilism. Because you can't really do a lot with nihilism. Kind of like, what, that, that one of the first rules of uh, improv, uh, improv comedy is yes and. If someone says something, you can say, you say yes and. Because you're not shutting it down, you're not shutting off the creative process, you're not shutting off the flow of the story or the currents of energy. By saying yes and, you are accepting what is being given to you and you are adding your own direction to it and, uh, you know, helping create life to this improvised story. And life certainly is improvised, even though at the same time it's not. I think everything is cause and effect and at the same time, um, complete chaos. That's a paradox and I accept those paradoxes. And that's kind of what absurdism is, but I'm not quite there yet. Um, so nihilism, uh, you know, once you get the yes and rule down in improvised comedy, improvisation comedy, you can eventually say things like no or, or you know, you can say the word no just to keep it simple because you understand how to say it in such a way that keeps the flow going. But before you understand how to keep the word flowing, if you just say no, you can't build on it. It's unconstructive. Um, and it just stops the growth of the scene. Make sense? So if nihilism would be saying no and just stopping the growth of the scene internally, you know, philosophically, then existentialism would be to say yes and. Um, because you're saying, I accept that there's no meaning, but I create my own meaning. Because at least even if everything I experience isn't real, 
at least it feels real to me while I'm experiencing it. So why not create and accept some type of meaning, some type of ethos to make the experience bearable for me and bearable for the people that I interact with? All right. So then absurdism goes a step further and it deals, it's funny. Absurdism is really funny. And basically it is playing around with kind of the, the, the details and the shrapnel that flies off of the philosophy of existentialism. It is taking um, elements of accepted life. It's taking elements of um, a, a culture you find yourself in and turning them on their head and exposing just how, um, say, arbitrary many laws and traditions are. It's exposing how arbitrary they are and showing how absurd they are by asserting there is no meaning and these people don't understand that there is no meaning and that they're creating their their own meaning. And then they will toss in a character uh, who does understand that there is no meaning, someone who does understand that you create your own meaning. And they often uh, create some kind of tension with the person who just simply accepts tradition as the way it is without ever questioning it. And that's kind of where absurdism comes from. Um, it's just sort of holding a mirror up to things and picking it apart, deconstructing it, and oftentimes with silly results, um, even if it's a, with some really serious subjects. Um, a good, very short play by Edward Albee called The Zoo. You can check that out. Um, me and uh, Bennett, one of my two or three time guests, uh, we we were in that. It was fun. I played a crazy guy. He played the like straight lace dude. Um, so yeah, I accept that there is and is not. I accept that there are all sorts of paradoxes because I don't know if it's one way or the other, but the simple fact that someone thinks that it's one way and another person thinks it's another, I just say, why not both and neither? And I just accept it as that. And, um, and that's that. So I guess, I guess um, the meaning of life is whatever you make it. And at the same time, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's the meaning of life. And I guess this episode is not uh, a, a um, an apologist, an apologia toward laziness. It's not about Wu Wei. Maybe that's what I will do the next episode about. Um, so I guess I'll just call this one the meaning of life. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you want to help support the show, if you're able to, um, please donate at my Patreon, patreon.com slash that thing with James. Just this morning, I published another one of my bi-weekly, very short stories. Um, if only donors can get access to it, but even if you choose to donate at the lowest tier, which would be a dollar a month, um, you will get access to those very short stories. Um, every two weeks, one story, every two weeks, one new one. They're all different um, and original. I make them up right then and there on the spot. Um, so yeah, you can donate. 
if you want and if you're able to. Um, if you haven't already, listeners, please subscribe to this show, rate and review. YouTubers, if you haven't already, please subscribe to my channel, like the videos you like, write a comment, um, and for all of you, share the show with your friends, anyone you think of it, you talk to someone on a bus or something, well, what to talk to someone from six feet away, uh, tell them about this show. I'd love to have more audience members. Um, let's see. If you have an idea for a story or subject you would like me to cover on the show, or if you are in need of advice, I, I can answer it on the show and keep you anonymous. I won't even say any of your names. First, middle, or last, or third, fourth, fifth, sixth, suffix, prefix, midfix, Netflix. I won't, I won't say it if you don't want me to. But if you do want me to say your name, just tell me and send me an email at thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. Even if you just want to, you know, tell me how much you love me or how much you hate me or how much you think nothing of me, <laughs> send me an email. Um, or you could slide into my DMs and just check out the cool shit I, I post on social media, specifically on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at my handle, at James J. Asher. And uh, yeah, that's what I got for now. Thanks for tuning in again. This definitely turned out to be more than 30 minutes, but whatever. I'm going to go play some new video games. All right. I love you guys so much. Be good. Stay safe. And uh, don't lose your mind. All right. If you need someone to talk to, talk to someone. If you need someone to hug, hopefully you can find someone that, that you know, you can hug without breaking um, the uh, accepted rules of social distancing. Okay. Bye.